From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Pastor Carl Gallops is here for the full two hours. He has a brand new book out, The Gods of Ground Zero. But before we get to that, a quick programming note or two. There is no live YouTube stream tonight. The audio, however, from tonight's uh, program will be posted to the YouTube channel. And, of course, that's the Conspiracy Show YouTube channel. Uh, the live YouTube streams return in mid-September. Next week on The Conspiracy Show, Joe Horn from Skywatch TV will be here. He'll talk about the ticking time bomb tens of millions of North Americans may be facing in terms of a health epidemic related to processed foods. And uh, he'll also have an absolutely explosive report on what we're feeding our pets. He's uh, the author, in addition to Ticking Time Bomb, of Dead Pets Don't Lie. As I say, not good news, folks. Wait till you hear this. Very disturbing indeed. Joe Horn. Uh, then in two weeks, author-lawyer Sarah Whalen on the assassination of Princess Diana. you want to mark that one down and not miss it. All right. My guest tonight says, So much of the real message of the Garden of Eden has been adjusted over time. He says, literally everything wrong with the world and our own personal lives, as well as much of what you read in today's headlines, is directly linked to the Garden of Eden. Why is it then that we so frequently insist upon turning that vital chapter into an almost childlike bedtime story? Did you know the Bible tells us exactly where the original Garden of Eden was located? Have you ever wondered what really happened in the Garden? What is the full truth of why the garden was created in the first place? Was the garden serpent really a walking, talking snake? Did Jesus reveal deep secrets about the Garden of Eden? Did you know that he actually mentioned the Garden of Eden while he was on the cross? And exactly what is it that Satan and the demonic realm is so desperately trying to hide from us? How does what happened in the garden directly relate to today's world, our personal lives, uh, and much more. Get ready for the biblical ride of your life, folks. Critically acclaimed and Amazon Top 60 best-selling author Carl Gallops is here to pull back the curtain on Earth with previously hidden biblical treasures about the world's real ground zero. Carl is a former decorated Florida law enforcement officer, the longtime senior pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church since 1987 on the Gulf Coast of Florida. Carl also serves on the Board of Regents at the University of Mobile in Mobile, Alabama, and he frequently appears in television, radio, and print media interviews as a commentator and pundit for all things geopolitical, biblical, and prophetic. He's also a well-known biblical conference speaker. Again, his new book, The Gods of Ground Zero, will be released August 24th. Previously, he's written The Magic Man in the Sky, The Rabbi Who Found Messiah, Be Thou Prepared When the Lion Roars, and Gods and Thrones. Carl Gallops, welcome, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing wonderful, Richard. Hey, it's an honor to be with you. Always an honor to be with you, my friend. God bless you. Now, August 24th, the new book is available. That's it. When yeah. you say ground zero, that's a rather provocative uh, term, of, of course, yep. since 2001. What yeah. does it mean in relation to this biblical uh, book? 
Yeah, well, of course, you know, ground zero, as it relates, of course, to 9-11, your audience understands, of course, that that moniker designates, uh, look, this is it. This is where everything converged on that prescient, unbelievable day. But the ultimate ground zero, where everything converges, first, where everything originated, and now where it will converge again. This is according to the Word of God, Richard. And I, I mean from Old Testament to New Testament, where it all began and where it will all converge is in the Garden of Eden, which was the focal point of God's creation. It was the place where the Lord God himself designed to meet with humanity. He and the divine realm, that is the creation that he had created before he created the earth. We would call it the angelic realm. And there are different classes and natures of the angelic realm, just like there are different kinds of humans, you know, different races, different cultures, different body types of humans. Well, in the divine realm, according to the word of God, there are different classes and types of the angelic beings. And this was the place, this planet was the place, according to the word of God, where the Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, where he started the whole fellowship process, which was ultimately ruined in the garden by humanity and one of the chiefest of the divine realm, Satan himself. And we can talk about all that tonight. So that's ground zero. That's where the devastation began. That's the first terrorist attack, if you will, on the planet. It happened right there. But in the whole, what we would call, history of humanity, what's unfolding, where you and I are living now, everything that came before us and everything that will come after us and where we are right now, history, his story, this unfolding story is all about the ultimate restitution of all things. That comes right out of the New Testament, that phrase, the restitution of all things. That's being done through the Word of God, the prophetic movement of God's Word, of course, ultimately through Jesus Christ himself, and it is being done at the return of Jesus Christ, according to God's Word. But it all centers on ground zero, and the Bible shockingly speaks of the Garden of Eden from Genesis literally to Revelation. Jesus speaks of it, biblical writers speak of it in the Old Testament and New Testament, and you seldom hear any preaching or teaching on this. And as you said in the opening, most of the time we take the third chapter of Genesis, where ground zero first occurred, and we turn it into a children's bedtime story. With a little snake slyly wrapped around a limb, looking at a woman, encouraging her to eat a piece of fruit, usually depicted as an apple. Which, by the way, the Bible says nothing about an apple. Right. And there's a reason why it should be couched in the metaphor in which it's couched. And by the way, that's not my opinion. That's what the Word of God actually says, that it's a metaphor, and we'll talk about that later on tonight. But there's a reason why. I mean, can you imagine if a child picks up the Bible and can't get past the third chapter of Genesis without running into the deepest, darkest, nastiest thing that right. really ever happened on the planet? So something horrible went down in the garden. But yeah. do we know where... The Garden of Eden was located? I mean, we hear about modern-day Iraq, but was it really? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Now, I'm going to say some shocking things tonight as you and I talk about the Word of God and as it relates to what's in my book. So I just want to say this once so I don't wind up saying it over and over and over, sounding like I'm beating this drum. But I want your audience to understand that the shocking things that I'm going to say 
if they can pick up a copy of my book, and I'm not here to sell a book, so if they don't get it, that's fine. They can listen to this interview. But if they pick up a copy of the book, Gods of Ground Zero, they will discover that every claim that I'm going to make, as you know because you've read it, it is thoroughly backed up by renowned scholars, not only from years past, renowned scholars who have now gone on to be with the Lord, but yet they're still quoted and researched and read and referenced to this day, but also renowned scholars of our times, Hebrew language experts, Greek language experts. I go straight to the Greek and the Hebrew lexicons. I go straight to the contextual connecting of Scripture. So I'm saying all that to answer your question, because what I'm going to say is going to shock a lot of people right up front, because it is kind of the main one of the main theses of my of my book. You asked, do we know where the Garden of Eden was? Yes, the Bible tells us in its contextual connections, literally from Genesis to Revelation, the Garden of Eden was originally located in the area of what we now call the land of Israel, what the Romans designated as the land of Palestine. We also know Now, this is what the Bible says. And again, I'm going to say it one more time, and I will never say this again tonight. (laughs) Everything I'm saying is documented profusely in my book, because some people are listening to this saying, oh, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, actually, I do know what I'm talking about, Richard, as you know. And not only that, but many, many scholars for, for ages have seen this. They've been writing about it, but it so seldom makes it to the pulpit. Why, why do we always hear about Mesopotamia and, and uh, the Euphrates and Tigris rivers as well, being connected to the Well, because a garden? lot of that, you know, they call all of that the cradle of civilization. And because in the, the description in the Word of God, it speaks of a conjoining of four rivers and it names, you know, the Tigris, Euphrates, etc. But, 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 but the deal is that... There has been a flood since then. I mean, almost all Bible scholars and archaeologists and and geography experts that that are grounded in the Word of God, they understand and they admit that if there really was a worldwide flood, and as some Bible scholars would even say, maybe it was, uh, you know, a regional flood. I think it was a worldwide flood. But even if it was regional, it was in that region. And so, obviously, uh, the, the, the face of the planet would be changed, and, and, and riverbeds and river uh, directions, etc. So, but the bottom line is, um, that whole area is the earliest, earliest cradle of, of civilization. Now, is, it's really interesting, and I document this in the book, that, that um, you know, evolutionists, and of course I'm, I'm not an evolutionist. I believe God created, just as the Bible says. I don't think we came from, you know, I don't uh, think we came from apes, etc. But, but the bottom line is that evolutionists have claimed for years that the earliest artifacts of pre-humans were found in Africa. Mm-hmm. And then, but, but just in the last several months, in the major... Uh, um, scientific magazines, and even those that are, are really heavy, heavily, heavily lean, leaning towards uh, the, the evolutionist theory. Of course, all of them do, actually, in the mainstream. But, but they have declared headlines. I'm going to have to paraphrase them now. I don't have these right in front of me. But the headlines of their articles have, have, have declared, we're having to rethink the origins of humanity. We're having to rethink the birthplace of modern humans. And of course, what they're saying is that there was a a divergence 
of creatures that came out of Africa that eventually became uh, modern humans, and, and they would place them in various places, like the Mesopotamian Valley, et cetera, et cetera. But now, now, just in the last few months, they hit the headlines, but this has been discovered in the last couple of years, in, in sec- by secular archaeologists, the oldest human remains of modern humanity just being discovered in the last several years, and that involves uh, uh, tools and, and artifacts and skeletal remains that can be positively identified as modern humanity, yet the evolutionists say very, very, very old, but the oldest ones that we have found now are found in what is now the modern-day nation of Israel. And most of them are found within 50, 40, 50, 60 miles of Jerusalem itself. That's amazing. You know, how many times have we seen this where something was in the Bible and was dismissed as fiction, and then they they find archaeological evidence for it. Every it seems yes. every archaeological find confirms the validity of the Bible from the existence of Pontius Pilate, who was not known until we read about it in the Bible and confirmed that archaeologically. Carl, we're going to take a time out. We'll come back. We'll find out what you mean by gods, yeah. gods of Ground Zero, and uh, then we'll head right back to the Garden of Eden. Carl Gallup's my guest right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Carl Gallups, the pastor. Carl Gallups, longtime pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church down in beautiful Florida. And uh, his latest is The Gods of Ground Zero, due out uh, in just a couple weeks, August the 24th. And uh, that'll be available through uh, Amazon and and so forth. Now, we were talking about uh, gods, the word gods. This is something that you dealt with in the book Gods and Thrones, but let's revisit it. Why do we use the plural gods? Yes, thank you. Hey, listen, yeah, for your audience to know, the Gods of Ground Zero is, is actually could be considered a sequel to Gods and Thrones. However, I want your audience to know that you do not have to have read Gods and Thrones in order for Gods of Ground Zero to be thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable and thoroughly understandable. I, I wrote them so that they would fit together like a hand in a glove, but yet at the same time could stand apart from each other. In case somebody just picked up the second one first, it'll make complete sense. But you're right, I do deal with this heavily in Gods and Thrones, but then in Gods of Ground Zero, I hit it again for a couple of chapters, putting new information in there, so it's not just simply a rehashing of what I'd done before, but putting new information in there as well for people who had uh, read Gods and Thrones. But, bottom line, you're right, I deal with it in, in that book, Gods and Thrones, as well as Gods of Ground Zero, because it begs to be dealt with. I mean, you know, here I am, a, a Christian, a, a, an author, a Bible scholar, a preacher, teacher, and I'm talking about gods? I mean, do I believe in some pantheon of these mythical Greek mythology, you know, type gods. No, 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 no. Here's the deal. The Bible opens with this phrase, with this uh, verse, and it's in English. In English, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that's interesting, because in the beginning, who created it? God. All right. Now, 
we know as we read through the Old Testament, there are quite a few names by which God is known, quite a few monikers, if you will. There's Yahweh, there's Adonai, there's El, and then the variations like El Shaddai, El Elyon, El, uh, you know, and on and on, El, Adonai, um, uh, Yahweh, the, the Creator, the, the, the Almighty, and then there is this term, it's translated in English as God, capital G-O-D, no S on it, no little G. In the beginning, God created. So what word is that in the Hebrew? That word is Elohim, Elohim. Now, that's a very interesting word, and this is, why, this is where we get the term gods from as well. Because it is like our word deer or buffalo, our words deer or buffalo, and there are many other, like dice, you know, dice, there's one dice, and there's, you know, and there's, I've got several in my hands. Um, I, I don't call them dices. I don't call them deers or buffaloes, you know. Right. I say, deer, look at the deer. Well, when I say that, if, if, if you don't have a context to it, if you don't see what I see, you just hear me say that, you have to decide, did I just see one deer cross the road in front of us, or am I looking at a herd of deer? Look at the deer. That's all I say. So you don't really know. It's one word, but it can be singular or plural, depending upon the qualifiers. Like buffalo. If I just screamed one, one word, buffalo. Well, what do I mean by that? I've just seen a buffalo, or you better run and hide because there's a whole herd getting ready to come down upon you. Buffalo. Right, right. Okay, all right. Elohim is the very same way. Whenever you see a Hebrew word ending in I am, im, Elohim, that's like our English words ending in S or ES. But we do have English words uh, that end in S or ES that are both singular and plural, like glasses. Correct. Okay, for example. Scissors. Right, so, 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 now, but here's the cool thing about it. When we get to Genesis 1, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. All right, is it singular God, or is it plural gods? That would be with a little g and an s, gods. Well, we know that it's singular God, the creator, because it goes on to say, and he said, and he said, and he said, let there be light, and he said, let there be dry earth, and he said, let the ground burst forth with living things. He, okay, so as we move forward, we understand that this is the singular, this is God, this is Elohim, the ultimate Elohim, capital E, okay? But as we move through the Old Testament, we run into that phrase over and over, and we discover that God calls the divine realm, the created beings, the angelic realm as a whole, he calls them also Elohim, little e. Now, the reason he does that, it's the same reason why you give your children your family name. And, um, you know, your, your, your kids have your last name. And some of your kids might even share parts of your name or your father's name or your wife's family's name. What, what, why is that? Because you want them to be proud of who they are and from whence they came, their heritage, their lineage. Um, so God is the creator of everything. He's the creator of the entire divine realm, and that is his his upper family, if you will. We are his lower family. The, the, listen, I know that might sound odd to some people, but the book of Ephesians speaks about that. It speaks about how our Father, who is in heaven, this is in the third chapter, it says, from whom all of his creation in heaven and all of his creation on earth derive their name. 
Where, where do we get our name? From our Father. So what does he call the heavenly beings? He calls them also Elohim, little g with an S. Now, that's a little confusing to those of us that speak English, because every time we hear the word God, even if it's a little g, we immediately think of, you know, some supernatural being that, you know, that, that sways over the universe. Well, but God himself is the creator. But the divine realm, through this interdimensional understanding of reality in the divine realm, he also calls the angelic realm as a whole Elohim, little e. Now, when I use the term gods and thrones, the title of my last book, I'm speaking specifically, specifically of the fallen realm, the fallen divine realm, what we would call the demonic realm, led by Satan himself, little g, s, but Satan, the Bible tells us, wants to take the place of big G, God. He wants to sit upon his throne. He wants to be the God of gods, the Bible says. Elohim of Elohim is how that translates in Hebrew. So when I say gods of ground zero, I'm speaking of mainly the fallen demonic realm. But I'm also speaking of the non-fallen angelic realm. There is a spiritual battle that is taking place over Israel right now, and over the city of Jerusalem right now, and over the Temple Mount right now. It's in our headline news. But the Bible says from the beginning, it started in Eden, it started with the fall, it went from there through the flood, from there to the Tower of Babel, from there to the scattering of the nations, from there to the demonic realm behind the thrones of power and all of the nations of the world trying to move everything towards a kingdom whereby Satan runs and rules the world, culminating in a man with the spirit of Satan in him, if not Satan himself disguised as a man, that the Bible says is the Antichrist. Right. Now let, yeah. me, let me go back to the, the garden. And the depiction of Satan as a serpent. Mm-hmm. Why, why is that, that term used? We're not talking about a walking, talking snake here. Yeah, no, we're not. In fact, I can prove that from God's Word. And again, backed up by a lot of scholarly understanding. Yeah, when we come to Genesis chapter 3, it's, it, you know, I mean, it starts off, I mean, it's, 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 it's very clear that, um, uh, in fact, let me just read it here. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. All right, he said, the woman did God really say you must not leave. All right, so, so we're introduced just, just slapped in the face with it. I mean, there's no explanation. Just a serpent is speaking to the woman? Really? Didn't Adam name all the animals? Yes. Did he ever come across a talking snake? Well, there's nothing mentioned about that. And did, did did all of a sudden a snake just come? And by the way, it must be a walking snake too, because later on, you know, in this in this whole uh, metaphorical situation. And by the way, the the Garden of Eden is not a metaphor. Adam and Eve are not metaphors. The fall is not a metaphor. That's why the world's so messed up now. All of that is reality. But it's couched in this metaphor, and we'll discover why from the scriptures a little bit later on tonight. But the bottom line is, we're just we're we're just told this this serpent, okay? And 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 when God pronounces his judgment, he says, from now on you'll go on your belly. Well, which means he was on legs before. <laughs> you know, right. So so you know, did Adam and Eve really see this serpent 
come walking into the garden, I mean, and start talking to them? Was the serpent, was this animal really smarter than Adam and Eve? Well, not unless it was a divine being, because the divine being would be, uh, you know, supernatural and smarter than Adam and Eve, but, but, Are there divine beings that are serpents with legs? No, no. But this is a metaphor. And as a matter of fact, the scriptures tell us. And and I'll go straight to that in just a second. But to answer your question, so here we are introduced to a serpent who's speaking. All right, now, here's the deal. That's Genesis. We never, ever, ever hear anywhere else in the scriptures of a talking, walking snake. And it's interesting because Elohim, or Yahweh himself in the Old Testament, addresses who it was that was in the garden. And when he does, he gives a very specific identification of Satan, but he doesn't say anything about a walking, talking snake. That's in the Old Testament. In two places, actually, in Isaiah and in Ezekiel. And then by the time we get into the New Testament, we are introduced to Satan in the in, 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 the, in the, pers- the personage of Satan, tempting Jesus in the wilderness, etc. But by the time we get to the end of the New Testament, the ultimate revelation of revelations, the book of Revelation, we want run right smack into Revelation 12, watch this, Richard, where in the metaphor, the secret of the metaphor, is laid bare before us. Let me just read this, portions of it. I cannot read the whole chapter, but the, but the relevant portions. Verse 1 of chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. She cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on its head. Okay, well, first of all, we already know this is a metaphor, right? I mean, you know. One would hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one would hope. I mean, you know, a, a seven-headed, ten-horned, seven-crowned dragon and a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, 12 stars on on her head, but that would be a heavy head, by the way. And then it goes on to say, this dragon's tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky, flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour the child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. Well, listen, that whole ruling the nations with an iron scepter, a male child, that comes right out of the book of Isaiah. It comes right out of the Old Testament. It's none other than the Messiah, who we know as Jesus Christ. So, you know, the woman could be Israel, the woman that gives birth to Messiah through the prophecies. It could also be Mary herself, the literal woman who gave birth to the literal Messiah. But the bottom line is, there was no dragon with seven heads and ten horns and crowns that, that, that stood before a woman with the moon under her feet and 12 stars on top of her head. This is all metaphorical. But all of that language comes out of the Old Testament. Now, I'm building to a point here. I want to answer your question, but this is important that we have the context. So, so as we're coming through this, watch this. So she gave birth to the child. And then, then it goes on to say, um, now, then war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels. And in, in the Old Testament, that, that could be malach, uh, that's the Hebrew word for angel, or it could even say, and, and, and the Elohim, the gods, little g, s, fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his malach, his angels, fought back. Watch this. But he, but he was not strong enough. They lost their place in heaven. Watch this. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient 
serpent called the devil, who is Satan, Mm. who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So now it's defined for us. In fact, in in, um, uh, Revelation chapter 20, that same phrase is used again, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. It's it's there again. So twice in the book of Revelation, we're told who the how ancient is the serpent. Well, all the way back to the garden. <laughs> That's as ancient as you can get. I'll say. Listen, we've got to take a time out, Carl. We will come back and uh, pick it up on the other side. Uh, we are with Pastor Carl Gallops, and the book is The Gods of Ground Zero. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. We're back with Carl Gallops, and the book is The Gods of Ground Zero. So we were talking about Satan and why he's portrayed as uh, metaphorically as a serpent in the Garden of Eden. Did you want to finish up on that point? Yeah, before I will. I'll do that very quickly. So we're picking right back up in Revelation 12. That just defines all of this for us. Revelation 12 and Revelation 20, we find the same phrase. It says that ancient serpent who is called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. And so what do we find out about that serpent? Well, Revelation 12 presents him clearly, metaphorically. In fact, Revelation 12 ends with these words. It says, And the woman was given the wings of a a great eagle, uh, prepared in the wilderness, and she would be taken care of. Then verse 15 it says, And then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river, to overtake the woman and sweep her away. But the earth helped the woman, opening its mouth, swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was... So see, this term dragon and serpent is used interchangeably. It's used absolutely metaphorically. There is no serpent that spews rivers of water out of its mouth to sweep a woman away. There is no dragon that spews rivers of water. This is metaphorically... Right. Determined to be Satan himself was in the garden, not a walking, talking snake. Now, who who was Satan before he was cast down? All right. Let me read it to you. Let me just let God answer that. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11. This is what the sovereign Lord says. That's what's in the Bible. I didn't declare that. (laughs) That's verse 12. This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in the garden. You were in Eden. And then he goes on to describe him, how precious, adorned with precious emeralds, stones, turquoise, beryl, uh, onyx, jasper. Your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created. They were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. So I I drove you as a profane thing, a profane thing from the mount of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub. I threw you to the earth. And I will destroy you. I will reduce you to ashes on the ground. Verse 18. In the sight of all who are watching. So he wow. Was, yeah, there are two th- interesting things there. One, cherubim, cherubim. I'll explain that. Were the cherubim not in charge of sort of guarding the yes. throne? 
Let me explain that. You're absolutely right, Richard. So that's Ezekiel 28 tells us. God says, he tells us who was there. He says, you were in Eden, in the garden. Well, you can't get any clearer than that. He was created. He was perfect in his creation, perfect in beauty, perfect in everything. The guardian cherub, over and over, he's called the cherub, the guardian cherub. On the mount of God, that's the divine assembly with God. He was one of the gods, little g, little s, gods, one of the Elohim. All right, now, it's interesting because in Ezekiel 28, he's called a guardian cherub, But way back in Ezekiel 10, we're told Ezekiel sees these cherubim, and he says, these are also called the living creatures. That's another name for the cherubim. Well, when we get to the book of Revelation, again, the most perfect revelation of Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 4 and 5, John is caught up to the throne room of God, and what does he see? The four living creatures surrounding the throne, and they are crying out, holy, 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 and they are giving praise to God. Satan was right up next to the throne of God in the beginning, a guardian of the holiness of God. God doesn't need guarding, but the holiness of God has always been has been guarded. You do not approach. You did. You do not even as as a member of the divine family, in the in the in the other dimension of God's. God's uh, existence, you do not approach his throne without first coming through one of the guardian cherubim. That was who Satan was. That's who showed up in the garden. Now, he's presented as a serpent because he is serpent-like. The word serpent is nachash in Hebrew. It's an interesting word because what it means is not only can it mean a literal snake, but it also is used most often in the way we use the word as someone who whispers magically, who lies, who twists the truth, in the same way I would say to you, you know what, Richard? I've been betrayed by my very best friend. He turned out to be a snake in the grass. Mm, Right, right. And the other angels that he dragged down with him or that were cast out, do we have any inkling as to their identity? Do they have names? Yeah. Uh, are Are they physical beings? Are they spirit beings? Yeah. For the purpose of this conversation, because we could spend hours on this, there are, there, there are those who have written to this in great length and who have made all kinds of biblical connections. So for those who know all of that, please forgive me, but I want to keep it at this level for our conversation. The bottom line is they are of the divine realm. They are of the fallen ones, those who followed Satan, I believe, beginning in the garden. And then, of course, we know, we know that by the time of the flood, I mean, there's, there, there's something horrific going on wherein God himself says, I'm going to push the reset button. I'm right. going to destroy everything. Time to cleanse the gene pool. Yes. Everybody out of the pool. That <laughs> all flesh was becoming corrupt, and it was because of something happening in the divine realm. We can talk about all that later if you'd like. We will, and I, we'll, uh, we'll take a time out, and then we'll pick up on that okay. uh, that point as we continue to delve into uh, Satan and his uh, minions and uh, all roads leading back to the Garden of Eden. Carl yes. Gallup's the author of the gods of Ground Zero, coming back with more on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sapp. We're back with Carl Gallup's The Gods of Ground Zero, due out on August the 24th. And uh, we're talking about the Garden of Eden and, uh, and Satan. And I was asking you whether Satan... 
uh, and uh, the uh, the other fallen angels. This has always puzzled me, you know, in terms of uh, the idea that that uh, angels could, you know, commingle the fallen angels, commingling with the daughters of men, uh, which sounds very much like, you know, like a, a physical act, like they were mating. Uh, but yet we think of many of us think of angels as spiritual beings, not flesh and bone or physical beings. So what, what is it? What, 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 which you. is the truth? Listen, that's that's an, um, that's a great question, and people people ask that all the time. In my previous book, Gods and Thrones, I address it, and in this book, Gods of Ground Zero, I address it. So let me address it here. And again, we could do a two-hour show on that alone, so I'll, I'll give the five-minute answer, but, but that's a very important question. Thank you for asking it. Now, here's the truth. Let me first give an illustration. When we speak of the spiritual realm, see, in our physical reality, in our space-time continuum, in our dimension of all that we know of life, when we speak of the spiritual realm, somehow we get in our mind, the first picture that pops in is this little ethereal, smoky, wispy, something like a ghost or a fat little baby sitting on a cloud, you know, playing a, a harp. I mean, that, that comes right out of Greek mythology. But, but you ask, is it a physical being? All right, here's the best illustration or some of the best earthly illustrations I can give. The answer to that is absolutely they are physical beings. And let me explain. Um, imagine going down to the deepest, darkest bottom of the ocean, miles and miles and miles. Some of the deepest places are like five and six miles deep. I mean, imagine that, brother. Get up in an airplane. Next time you're up in an airplane, and when you level off at 25,000 feet, look down. Pretend like you're a ship on the surface and look down right, at the bottom right. of the ocean. Right, right. That's how the, deep the oceans are in some place. The Mariana Trench. Yes, for example. But what we now know, in some of the deepest trenches of the ocean at the bottom, there are things called hydrothermal vents, vents of hot, fresh water spewing out of the middle of the earth, just venting, coming from the middle. I mean, this is amazing when you think about it. We, we know we, we've got probes that have gone down now with all of our technology and looked, and we discovered something amazing. Miles and miles and miles below the surface of the earth, these vents, and around the vents are entire ecosystems. Because there, there are living creatures all around those vents. And, and, there, and everything from, from uh, uh, microbial life, plant-type life, to hydrothermal vent crabs and shrimp and little fishes. and I mean, it's unbelievable. And... And, but, but here's what's amazing. Are those creatures flesh and blood? Yes. Are they physical or are they little ghosty, wispy ghosts? No, they're physical. They're physical beings. But watch this. Those hydrothermal vent creatures cannot imagine going up for miles and miles and miles. Most of them can't. Their bodies would explode. They, they, they can't do it. They're not equipped. But if they could, if they could go up into the darkness for miles and miles and miles and miles, and if they could reach the surface, and if they could burst through the surface and look, what would they see? Another dimension of reality. Of course, they couldn't even fathom that it goes on and on and on around this big globe, and that there are continents, and that there are seven billion human beings that are like gods to these these creatures at the bottom of the ocean. Not only that, but there are 25 million different species of life. Not only that, but off the surface of the earth, there's this thing called space. 
and there are galaxies, and there are solar systems, and this hydrothermal vent crab cannot even imagine that. Yet, they exist in complete reality, flesh and blood, if you will, a different kind of flesh, but it's flesh and blood, and we exist in reality. They don't have a clue we exist, but we know they exist. They can't come into our world, but we can go into their world. There's an example. We're talking about interdimensional understanding here. We're not talking about fairy tales and mythology. We're talking about the first thing the Word of God presents to us is the reality of different dimensions. That's the first thing. The first thing God's Word relates to us, the reality of different physical dimensions. Now, through the study of quantum mechanics and quantum science, our quantum physicists, most of them who are not Christian, who are not believers of the Word of God, most of them who are some type of evolutionist, even they admit there are, we now know scientifically, there are multiple dimensions of reality. Now, that's my best, under, my best way to describe this to you and your listeners in, in my short time, and that is, so when we come to the Word of God, the Word of God has been telling us for thousands of years, there are multiple dimensions of reality, there are living beings within those multiple dimensions, all of it has been created by a singular, omniscient, omnipotent creator God, Yahweh, or Elohim, capital E. He has an upper family, if you will. And he has a lower family. The lower family was meant to fellowship with the upper family on a planet called Earth in a place called the Garden of Eden. A cherubim rebelled because he could, because he had free will. See, his upper family and humans were not created as robots. We were not created as puppets. We were created to fellowship with our creator out of love, out of our own desire to fellowship with him and to be a part of all of his glory. Let's take a few moments to the top of the hour and talk about the other important symbols in the garden. And one is the tree and one is the fruit. Let's start with the tree. What is meant by the tree? Was it a physical tree or is is it a metaphor? Oh, I love talking about this. First of all, I wasn't in the garden. I know some people think I'm old enough to have been in the garden, but I wasn't. Uh, So all I know is what God's Word says. Now, so when we come to Genesis 3, it speaks of trees, uh, specifically two trees, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and then the tree of life. Very, very interesting. Um, So they're presented as trees, but then again, a serpent is presented as a walking, talking snake, too. So... You have to ask, are the trees metaphorical, too? So as we move through the scriptures, what we discover is that Satan is literally referred to as a tree in the garden. Jesus refers to him as a tree in the garden. I'll quote that scripture in a little bit. I'll talk about it. We'll teach on it. Yahweh speaks of Satan as a tree, and it literally says... In Ezekiel 31, in the Garden of Eden, you were a tree higher than all of the others. And then it names them. And then it says, but I will throw you down because you were raised up in pride. I mean, it it says it. This is what the Word of God's talking about. And then we get to the New Testament, and we hear Jesus speak of the tree of life. He doesn't say, I am the tree of life, but the tree of life is what we eat from, 
metaphorically speaking, in order to live forever. It's like when Jesus talked to the woman of the well. He said, I am the living water. If you drink of me, you will live forever. He told his disciples, I am the bread of life. If you eat of me, you will live forever. Then he says, I am the only one that gives you the right, the ability to eat of the tree of life. Yet he also says he is the only one who can give life. So Jesus equates himself with the tree of life. By the time we get to the book of Revelation, the last chapter of the book of Revelation literally speaks of the recreated earth and heavens, and it's called, it's called the, the, the restitution of all things. And it says, and what's there? The tree of life is there for the uh -huh. healing of the nations. In fact, some of the English translations, modern translations, have as a subtitle of chapter 22 of Revelation, the restoration of Eden. Because that's, what, that's where it's all headed. So two trees, the tree of life is, is the Messiah, yeah. and the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is yeah, Satan. Yeah, and by the way, what did Jesus die on? A cross made out of a tree. It's right. called he died on a tree. Um, he is the tree of life. He gives to the tree of life. Uh, Satan, in Ezekiel 31, is called the tree that was in the Garden of Eden, quote. Um, then in Matthew 13, <laughs> Jesus is actually, he, he gives six or seven parables in a, in a row. He starts off with a parable of the sower, put the seed on the ground, and in and, and one of them it says, and then, um, and, and then the evil one comes and, and snatches away. The birds come and snatch those that are sown upon the, the ground. And then he explains, he said, now the birds, the birds are the evil one. The birds are the evil one and his messengers. So that's Satan. And then it goes on to say, um, in, uh, let me see here, oh yeah, 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 watch this, in the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast, was just a couple of verses later, it says, then he told him another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it's the smallest of all seed, yet when it grows, it becomes the largest of garden plants, and becomes a tree, and the birds come and perch in its branches. Well, again, this is all backed up in my book through scholarly writings that you never hear preached in the pulpit. A lot of modern-day preachers take that parable and say, oh, that's about the growth of the church. No, it's not. Just a few verses earlier, it says the birds are evil. Ah. The birds are the kingdom of Satan. The birds are, are nesting in this thing, this this odd thing, uh, the, the smallest seed, the mustard seed. It doesn't grow into a tree. It's, it, it's, it's just a plant, but yet the evil comes and, per, and perches in its branches. And what does it say? He says, it is the largest, it grows to be the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree. So he equates this demonic thing with a garden and a tree. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives a parable. He says, you know what? He says, you can't get good fruit from a bad tree. You can't get bad fruit from a good tree. He says, beware of the false prophets. You will know them by their fruit. Mm. From what? A tree. The right, mustard. I got to come back to that mustard tree. You know, next time I order a hot dog, hold the mustard. That's right. Hold, hold the mustard. <laughs> mustard. That's right. Hey, but listen to this, brother. Think about this. So who was the very first false prophet on the planet that we have recorded? It was Satan. Right. Where did it happen? In the garden 
what did he say that was false prophecy? You surely shall not die. You, you, if you will do what I tell you, you can be like the gods. You can be, or some translations say you can be like God. Some translations say you can be like the gods. And people say, well, well now, now why is that different translation? Because the word is Elohim. And there are really no other qualifiers, so we don't really know if he meant you can be like God himself or you can be like the divine realm. Either way, it means the same thing. You can be more than you are, Satan said, if you would just do what I'm telling you to do. And God doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just trying to keep something special from you. You will not die. What's he doing? He's a bad tree offering bad fruit. And he says, eat of this fruit. Jesus warned about that. In Matthew chapter 13 and in Matthew chapter 7. All right, we'll, we'll pick that on, that on that on the other side. Okay. What is that fruit? We'll come back with Carl Gallups, the author of The Gods of Ground Zero, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay tuned for Hour 2.